Hi, and welcome to the season finale of Veterinary Vibes, the podcast where we vibe so you can thrive. Today, we shine a spotlight on the remarkable journey of Bill O'Leary, an esteemed figure in veterinary medicine and the dedicated owner of Mission Veterinary Clinic. Beyond running a successful practice, Bill's legacy extends far deeper into the realm of compassionate communication and being the positive change our furry friends need. From his early days amidst California's scenic landscapes, fostering a culture of empathy and understanding in his clinic. Join us as we unravel the inspiring narrative of a man whose commitment to both animals and the veterinary community truly sets the bar and makes veterinary medicine that much better. Let's get to it. So, um, Bill O'Leary, can I call you that? Yes, sir. Billy Bob, Billy Boy. <laughs> Look at that. Smiles Davis over there. Mm. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today and making that drive out here. Uh, we did have your son on the show, so this is very nice to have, uh, you know, the generations. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to him. That w- that was a lot of fun. That was a fun episode. We had a great time. Yeah, and we spitballed for a while. I had to cut that down a couple hours. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were we were going on for a while. I'm I'm very very proud of him, and I I don't know why listening to him. I was very proud listening to him on that episode. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Well, he gets a lot from you, I can already tell. So. All, all three of my kids, that's my trophy right there. If <laughs> That's beautiful. My Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, speaking of your lifetime, so how did it all start for you? Well, honestly, by accident. Uh, as far as animals, I was around animals my whole life. My parents were horse trainers. My sister still is a horse trainer. When I turned 18, I needed a job. I actually got fired from the bank I was working at. I was a, a delivery boy. And... Uh, my girlfriend's mother was a receptionist at a hospital, and she said, we need someone to clean. Uh, why don't you come over here, and I'll put you to work. And went over there, and the owner of the hospital was in Israel, so she couldn't even officially hire me. <laughs> um, she just said, just work. He'll be home back in a month, and I'll tell him I hired you while you were gone, even though she's the receptionist. We need you to clean. Oh, my gosh. So I, I worked there for, I don't know, six months, a year. I, we're talking 1988, 1989 now, so quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, ended up talking to one of the sales reps. Uh, he was actually a VCA or Hills sales rep. And started talking about what he did and how much he made because I knew I had to do more than clean cages. Um, all the, it's an honest living, but I, I needed more. And uh, he ended up uh, lining me up with multiple job interviews and a dog collar and leash company hired me, selling to veterinarians over the whole West Coast. So I had 13 states traveling. I was gone three weeks out of the month, selling leashes and collars to veterinarians, little displays they'd put in their waiting room. (laughs) Um, Did that for about four years. And, you know, I knew that was like a cutting my teeth job so I could get into pharmaceutical sales and getting to know everybody. And then I transferred to a company called IGI and started selling pharmaceuticals. And I worked there for about three years, and one day I uh, was at a sales meeting, and we're out having drinks afterwards, and something's mentioned about college, and I said I didn't go to college. And I watched my boss across the table, all the color leave his face, <laughs> and he just stared at me, and he kept staring at me the rest of the night. The next day I got called into his office, and he's like, what do you mean you didn't go to college? I said, I didn't. And luckily, I was one of their top salespeople. I was doing very well. And he's like, don't ever repeat that again. And he goes, no one can know that here. And he's like, how did I end up hiring you? Did you lie to me? I said, no, you never asked. (laughs) You knew I was in the industry. You never asked. 
So I, I kept my job there and we just kept it quiet. But at that moment, I knew that I could not advance uh, without a college degree. Um, I already had a wife at home. I already had a, a child either on the way or maybe I already had a child at that mm-hmm. time. Not sure. Um, so I started looking at ideas to open my own business. And I, the, the great thing about being around these sales reps is they were all entrepreneurs. They all just want to talk about how to advance themselves, how to do better, how to make more money. Um, what businesses to own. A lot of them owned real estate. A lot of them owned hospital real estate. That was very common. Um, some owned coffee shops. Anyways, came up with the idea to open a vet hospital. And uh, actually, one of the sales reps did. And he opened one in Torrance. Um, asked me to be a partner, and I said no. It was the worst decision I ever made. Because I next thing I know, I'm working there as a technician. <laughs> because I got a wife and kids at home, and you need extra money. So Saturday, Friday nights and Saturday nights, I'm working as a tech while I'm working my full-time job as a sales rep, trying to uh, pay for diapers. And uh, at that moment, I'm like, I've got to figure out how to do this myself. So I don't know, maybe a year later, I opened my own hospital, and I did it by renting a hospital that was closed. So when the hospital, it was a day hospital. When they okay. closed, we opened at night. I see. It was a nightmare. Trying to run two different complete businesses out of the same building. Everybody getting along. My staff fighting with their staff. You know, his kids fighting with my kids sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, our doctors disagreeing. Um, different drugs. It just didn't work. But it gave me about a year to get it going, to make money. So I could go in and, and rent my own facility and, and do a build out. And I did a, a cheap and dirty build out and I bought some used equipment and, you know, it was not the fanciest place. Um, but we got it up and going and we were specializing in emergency or emergency medicine, not specializing. We were an emergency hospital or an urgent care hospital. And, uh, that's it. You know, next, next thing I know, here we are 25 years later or whatever it is. Um, the hospital's up and going. It is busy. Yeah. Um, we're definitely one of the bigger hospitals in the San Fernando Valley, or at least mid-size. Um, I think I have four doctors right now and uh, doing well and loving it. And now I've got a, a son in vet school and mm-hmm. he's going to be coming in and, you know, taking over or at least helping out. Making Papa <laughs> proud. Yeah. Making me proud, making my life easier. And, uh, I think a, a lot of guys would be selling out to uh, one of the bigger companies right now, but I honestly believe that by doing that, you know, I think that's the death of a lot of guys is retirement. Mm. You know, I do want to cut back, you know, I want to cut way back, but not completely retire. You know, you've got to have something in your life as, as uh, humans, as men, mm-hmm. we, we need to have something to motivate us. We have to have a uh, responsibility, a purpose. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's hard. A lot of people, their their ideology is, I want to get so comfortable that I can retire and do nothing. But like you said, it's the death of a lot of people and you don't realize there's not a lot to do unless you force yourself to do something, right? Something that you enjoy. Like a lot of people do hobbies and those hobbies will turn into side projects and those side projects will turn into another business. Right. You know, you, you have to have a purpose. It, it's who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be scary not for me not to have a purpose. I think I would go crazy. Yeah, I agree. I think- um, that is not, that is not sound appealing to me. You know, to be stuck doing nothing and, really. And then socialism, everybody else mm-hmm. is working. That's true. Okay. I have Wednesdays off. Great. I'm going to go mountain biking by myself. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's better if other people are there. 
Yeah, literally. So going back, you're a drug dealer who did not graduate college. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, you've transformed into... <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be taken out of context. No, no, uh, no. I mean, but that, that's, so that's, that's much spills it. So, so going in from a uh, sales representative to uh, a technician at a hospital... What did it feel like when you finally said, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to invest in a company that I can build from the ground up. It's not going to be the prettiest thing in the beginning. It's going to be a lot of hard work. How did you, who did you surround yourself with during that time? Did you do it all by yourself? Did you say, hey, I've got all these entrepreneurial friends. I'm going to pick their brains. Why was it so important for you to, to do this? So th- that is, God, an amazing question. It almost sounds like you're prepped for that. If I go back to when I was 20 years old or 19 years old, and I, I think I was 20 when I got my first sales job, and that was a real turning point for me because it's like I knew I had purpose. I knew I could make something of myself. I wasn't just going to be a kennel boy. I actually made a list of all my friends, and I drew name lines through their names of the people that were bad influences in my life. Because I had multiple friends that were bad influences. I knew they were going nowhere and they were not ethical people. So I actually wrote down names on a paper and drew drew lines. And then at the same time, as I got into sales, I was around most people were quite a bit older than I was. I met amazing people that were very focused on business. They had intelligent conversations about business And it just changed the way I think and it changed the way I act. You know, it changed me from being a kid that was thinking about cars and girls and there's nothing wrong with that because I still do. But uh, now all of a sudden it was just so much focus on business and, you know, instead of listening to music in the car, I'm listening to the art of war, you know, books on tape and and changing who we are or who I was. So that, that was a huge moment. Once I got into the hospital, you know, then it all just became about veterinary management and everything I could read, everything I could listen to on veterinary management. Mm. So so diving a little bit deeper into that, did you feel like, I mean, at that time you said you were, you're married already, you had a kid. Did you feel like those responsibilities drove in a sense of purpose for you to want to be better, to want to further yourself? Did you feel like that was something you had to go trial by fire? What was that like? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for me, the the responsibility of marriage and a child was huge mm-hmm. because it'd be one thing for me to live on the street or live in a car or to fail. It'd be another to have a wife and a child and I'm living in a car yeah. or living on the street or failing. And I, I opened the hospital and I just knew I couldn't fail. I mean, I there's no way I was going to allow myself to. I, I knew it was going to be the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Leading up to it, I had this thing where once a week I was going and climbing Baldy. And in my mind, by climbing Baldy, it was about not giving up. Mm-hmm. Now, to some people, climbing Baldy is nothing. You know, to, to me, it was pretty tough. But I was pushing myself. And in my mind, I just keep walking, keep the, you know, I'm not running, I'm climbing, keep that foot. No, don't stop. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. Um, at one point, I got to where I could go up and down Baldy in three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all oh, the whole purpose was mental training for opening my business. And I look back now and I kind of laugh at that and wonder how much it made a difference. But somehow I was trying to mentally prepare myself that giving up was not an option. Um, and trust me, dur- dur- during the process of opening the hospital, there were several times that I thought about giving up. 
you know, we hit a recession and I really thought about throwing the keys on the counter and walking away. Um, at one point I went and got a sales job again. I went and worked for a, a laboratory, yeah. um, in sales while I owned the hospital because the hospital was paying it bills, but was not paying my bills. Yeah. Um, so, and most of my employees had no idea that I was doing that because they'd still see me at night every night. They yeah. had no idea that during the daytime I was out, you know, peddling, uh, blood services or, or laboratory services. And climbing Baldy. <laughs> well, that came before I opened. That's fine. Um, you know, give you an example. I think I weighed 158 when I opened the hospital and a year later I weighed 200. Wow. I mean. All muscle. I, I, I don't <laughs> think it was all muscle. I think a lot of that was Jack in the Box, you know, because that was basically breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Jack in the Box. Yep. That is funny. And now I will not eat a Jack in the Box no matter what. It <laughs> You see, everyone has one of those ramen like, stories. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. I would rather starve to death. You know what mine is? No. Hot pockets. Hot pockets. I will never eat them again. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. Man, living on my own for the first time, not knowing how to cook. Hot pocket. That was it. Huh? Hot pocket. Yeah. Hot pocket. Hot pocket. Yeah. Now, I, every time I hear hot pocket, <laughs> I swear my stomach just contracts and I can feel the acid coming up my throat. It, it, it just so you know, you know, that comedian that does the whole hot pocket, we still do that in the office. If something bad's going on, my manager will look at me oh. and he'll be like, hot pocket. <laughs> we just laugh. I need to go back and watch that again because I would probably pee myself watching that. Yeah. But go, going back to, um, I like that metaphor that you said when you climbed Baldy, it was like a, a mental preparation for you. Like you were physically doing it, but you're mentally preparing yourself for, hey, it's going to get hard. Like I'm starting something new. I have a lot of responsibilities riding on me and I have the ability to do something big. And I think when people have the vision and the the hope or the goal of this could be something, like this might be something, and then putting on a purpose and responsibilities, it like reinforces you. And maybe it reinforced you at that time to say, I may not know shit about this right now, but I'm going to figure it out as I go. And I'm going to surround myself with people that know a little bit more than me or a lot more than me in a lot of situations. Uh, it makes, it makes that growth that much more special in that moment. Yeah. You know, like that's crazy to think about. And like, I aspire to hopefully be able to do something like that in my life, but thinking about like, you're not a veterinarian. That's crazy to me. To, to me, like we were talking about this before, when I think of a, a veterinary hospital that I would think that that person is a veterinarian or has some major ties to veterinary medicine, their wife, their husband, whatever is a, is a veterinarian. But like you're sitting here telling me you weren't even a veterinarian. You weren't even a tech for a long time. No. You were a, a sales rep. And you said, you know what? I'm going to start this hospital and I'm going to make it something. And it's not going to be easy. And we're going to figure it out along the way. Yeah. That's and, crazy. And, and there were a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, and it was trial by fire. I was figuring this stuff out. Um, while we were doing it, making mistakes. Um, for me, it was management mistakes, you know, and I, I look back now, I was 28 when I opened the hospital. Um, which, you know, it's not very old now, looking back, you know, yeah, to, to, to me. <laughs> no, most people don't have kids by then. Right. Or, or most people aren't even married by that age yeah. now. And and I was also, you're talking about support staff, not to call my wife staff, but I was so blessed. I could not have done it without someone that was 100% behind me. She understood the importance of what I was doing because I had three kids within a couple of years and I wasn't there for them. She was, I was at work, 
but she understood the importance. She knew I was where I needed to be. So in the middle of birthdays, I was standing up going, there's a problem at work. I got to go. Yeah. Middle of Christmas, I, I've got to go clean cages. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's Christmas. I've got to go. Yeah. Um, if, if I hadn't had someone that was 100% behind me, completely supportive, it would have never, ever worked. And that's every business. Um, I have an acquaintance, a good friend right now, actually, and he opened a boba shop. And in the process of opening it, he lost his long-term girlfriend. Yeah. She was like, it was the business or me. Yeah. And he's kind of like, I've got all my money into this. Mm-hmm. You know, don't give me a choice. I'm going to have to choose the business. Um, and he did, you know. We talked about that quite a bit, me and him, because um, it made me realize how blessed I was to have someone that stood beside me and believed in me, believed in the business. And a lot of times when I didn't believe in myself, there were times I came home and probably looked like a kick little puppy dog and was ready to give up. And she'd come over and go, you got this. Yeah. You can do it. You're not giving up. Uh, you know, she was the rock. Yeah. So you, you've got to support yourself, surround yourself with people that are going to support you and that understand what you're going through. Yeah. And that goes back to the mindset of you are a product of who you surround yourself with. Uh, you're like a, you're an average of the five people closest to you. Is that what they say? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And so, and, and like you said, there's moments in your life where you had to, you wrote down people's names and you said you asked them off your list. Like you, you are adding names to your list. And what's funny is, uh, on over the weekend I went to church and, uh, the message was exactly that. It was look at the people who are at your table, look at your closest people and realize do i want do i want to ask them to stay at my table or should i ask them to leave my table and it's crazy cuz i i kept thinking in that moment of hearing that message i was like oh my goodness i am a product of the people i surround myself with but even more than that like i grow from those people too i learn new things from those people and if i'm learning the wrong things from people it's going to send me down like an entirely different path than the one maybe i wanted to go down Absolutely. I mean, for you right now, especially you're in vet school, Mm -hmm. you are doing something that is not easy. You are doing that something that is very hard. You've got to have a support system that believes in you. You know, if you're going home every day and you know, your neighbor's your best friend and they're going, oh, just, just quit. You don't need to do that. Right. You don't need that. You need people telling you, I know it's hard. Suck it up. You can do it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny. We, we kind of have lost sight of a lot of that, at least generationally speaking, I've gotten to experience a weird paradigm shift of a lot of different things and the suck it up and get through it attitude is kind of put on the back burner. And a lot of people have become self-entitled to the point where they feel like the world should be molded directly for them. And if what they believe in, let's say, without getting political or anything, uh, it makes it harder. It, It makes it harder to progress for everybody. My generation has failed your generation. I truly mm-hmm. believe that. Um, the, life has been too easy for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Just simple as that because they're not tough. They're not hardened and they need to be. And there's been so much of words or violence where with, when I was a kid, it was sticks and stones may break your bones. You know, names can never yeah. hurt me. And, and we need more of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I agree. It's not nice to say something mean, but words are not violence. And sometimes we're going to hear things we don't like. Right. And we have to tough it up. 
And I think we also have to, one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is to say, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. If someone says something you like, does it matter? So what? Mm-hmm. It only hurts if I let you hurt me. Yeah. You don't matter. Yeah, okay? exactly. So, you know, I think we should still take all that information in and see if we can uh, use it a value to improve ourselves. Mm-hmm. Is there any truth to it? Hmm. Okay, there is some truth to it. They call me fat. I am a little fat. Okay, instead of being personal, maybe I should go to the gym. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a personal experience for me. I had someone that made a comment about my weight, you know, and I'm not exactly huge, but mm-hmm. it personally affected me. And I said, no, I'm not going to let this personally as a personal attack, but I am going to go drop some weight. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's, that's your personality trait of looking for the deeper meanings to the things some people say, because obviously we're going to run into people who are out of their mind with the things that they say. Where there is, a, where there is a, you know, I'll play devil's advocate, where there is a, a point where you can say, hey, you can't say that. You know, there is, of course, there is, there is definite lines that you cannot cross when you're speaking to somebody. Absolutely. But you can control the way you react to a situation. Correct. And that's where it's a gray area because, um, like you said, you're going to disagree with people um, and you're also going to be told hard truths which are hard. Like you said, just let's bring up the fat example, mm-hmm. right? There's a million ways to sell, tell somebody they're fat and still care about them. Right. There's a million ways to tell somebody they're fat to try to hurt them. But we can make decisions. When someone says something to you that you, is truly completely out of line, you can just draw a line through their name. Mm-hmm. Be like, I'm done with this person, if, if that's what it comes down to. Or you can talk to them direct on. Go, hey, mm-hmm. what you're saying is completely unacceptable. Yep. You know, But don't be offended. Mm-hmm. Just stop them. Well, that's a communication thing. Yeah. So I I think a lot of things can be solved by proper communication if it's equally reciprocated by both parties. You ever talk to somebody and you are saying all the right things, you're saying all the right things, but the communication is lacking on their ability to absorb that information and digest it or how you're saying it? Absolutely. So it's like, it's kind of like a... Catch 22. As a manager, I have this issue with my staff all the time because I'm worried they're telling me what I want to hear mm-hmm. instead of what's really going on. And they don't understand that I'm having this meeting because I actually want to know what went right and what went wrong. Yeah. And I can tell certain people are just telling me what I want to hear. You know, mm-hmm. now, trust me, even though I know I want to hear it respectfully, yeah. <laughs> but I need to hear it to fix sure. the problem. Um. Or at least I, I can't be responsible for fixing the problem unless I know about it. What do you think drives that in business? Why, why do you think, I mean, people go, have gone years doing that in education. I, I write a paper on what my professor wants to hear. I, I do something in a way that I know that they're going to critique me on, grade me on, pay me on. Why do you think there's, there is that problem in a lot of different people's businesses in their lives? You report to your boss. How often do you go to your boss with bad things? You know what I mean? How often do you want to at least? Right. What, what, how do we fix that like transparency issue? God, I'm not sure I know. That's a hard question. Yeah, right? it, no, it really is because that could solve a lot of world problems yeah. if, if, if we could solve that one or figure it out. I mean, so much of it is we tell people what we want to hear because we want to be liked. We want to raise, we mm-hmm. want to be promoted. We want a better grade. So, um, and, and can they handle the truth or will they be offended by it? Will they grade us down? Will they not give us the promotion? That's what we're afraid of. Um, so that's really the relationship between the two people. And is it there? Um, <laughs> I had a meeting with one of my 
really more entry-level staff members this morning. Great guy. And I had the meeting with him because I knew he would shoot it straight with me. Mm -hmm. When I first hired him, we jumped in the truck to go to the storage unit and he was like, how old are you? I mean, he just, he just started rattling off like hard questions that I wouldn't say inappropriate, but most people wouldn't ask a boss. Mm -hmm. And so I knew when I went to him that he would answer the questions, mm -hmm. but I have employees that have been with me 20 years. I'm not sure they would answer the questions because they're scared of being disrespectful. They, I don't know. They're scared of repercussions. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I, I just need to know what's going wrong and what's going right so I can make this place better. And, and that's the goal. You yeah. Know? It's a character trait, really. Yeah. Honestly, at the end of the day, you can, you can train somebody, you can, you can teach them everything from a specific book, but yeah, I feel like that is, it, it, it's a fine line of, like you said, inappropriateness and the most appropriateness. It's the weirdest thing. Right. And my problem with that is sometimes I go down the, like you said, how old are you? Like, that's really funny, but that sounds like a question. I would ask, you know, but I also yeah. am like in retrospect, I'm like, God, that was a dumb question. <laughs> I'm, I'm self-aware. Right. But, uh, but you know, the, the, here's a guy that has no filter, mm -hmm. I, I guess, but it was very respectful. Sure. There, there was no, and I, and I think that's a lot of the things we say, you know, we can say certain things, but were they meant as an insult? Like, what was the intent behind it? How did you say it? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, I hate texting. Mm -hmm. I, I read text wrong all the time. Me and my best friend are opposite politically and we're, we're best friends since junior high and we're opposite mm -hmm. in so many ways. And I read his text wrong almost every time and he reads my text wrong almost every time and mm -hmm. we end up in these little fights over it and it's just so stupid. You know, and then when we're together verbally, it's never an issue. Yeah. You know? There's a key and peel skit I got to show you. That's really funny. If you've ever seen it, well, I'll show you after this uh, this episode, but- it talks literally about that. They're reading the text messages out loud in different tones. <laughs> no, that is true. Oh, communication is key. Yeah, no. Communication is the problem in every business and every relationship. It really is. Um, how do you increase it? There's never enough. There's never, it can, you know, perfection is not possible. Mm -hmm. it, it's what we hope to ascertain, but it is not possible. Um, we just strive for it and we have mm -hmm. to continue striving for it. But so many problems could be fixed with communication. Uh, Is that one of the biggest problems you see in the veterinary industry right now? Do you think it's communications? Oh, I don't know if it's one of the biggest, but it's definitely a problem in every industry, I'd like to believe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but how many times does a doctor come in and read another doctor's notes and there's not enough there to understand what's really going on? Mm -hmm. You know, how often does someone come in to look at a patient and they really... The owner is not giving you the proper information, whether it's the proper questions aren't asked or the owner just out and out lies. And, and I hate to say it, but they do. They don't know. How long has this been going on? Two days. You know, with, with patients, the biggest problem we have is they can't talk. Mm -hmm. So we really don't have uh, all the information we need. Yeah. That's hard. I like to say human aspect doesn't have it, but they got pediatrics. So they've got some babies they got to deal with too. So I, I never thought of that, but yeah, you're right. Their patients don't talk. Y yeah. I mean, when I go to the doctor, I just went to the doctor two days ago. Almost the whole physical was verbal. Is my dad still alive? What health problem does he have? My mom, my sister went through the whole thing, asked me all about myself, my exercise, my diet. Almost the whole physical exam was verbal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now let me listen to your heart. 
<laughs> can see your heart's lying. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have none of that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I, I saw a statistic somewhere. I'm going to butcher it. It's probably like 70% or something. It said like, you can diagnose patients, I guess, with just a, a proper history and a physical exam, like 70 to 80% of patients, something crazy like that. I believe it. Yeah. You know, but we never have the proper history. Cause, yeah. And then it's not that even that the owner's lying or they just don't know. You know, he hurt his leg. How? They're not sure. You know, how long has it been hurt? Only the dog really knows how long the leg's been hurt. Mm-hmm. You know? And if it's a cat, good luck because they hide it even longer. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially. I mean, it's it's in their instinct. I con- constantly explain this to the owners that in nature, if they're injured, that, that means the coyote is going to eat them. Yeah. So it's in their nature to hide whatever injury or illness they have as long as they can. So by the time you guys see it, it's been going on a while. The yeah. time the owner sees it, it's it's didn't happen that day. It happened a few days before mm-hmm. or weeks. Yeah, the other aspect, education, because, you know, just about about their own pets themselves, you see people, and again, I, I'm thinking about just human health care. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people know about their own body, and it's a part of us, you know, like right. they don't understand like specific pains, specific physiologies, specific ailments, diseases, things like that, they all show some type of signalment that if you understood, um, if you knew the the reason why things were happening, you know, and you could treat it faster, you would, you would have stopped the issue from happening or progressing, let's say, progressing. Like skin cancer, for example. How many people know to look on their skin every day and to look at a specific mole and to say, okay, color looks good, symmetry looks good, doesn't hurt, it hasn't grown. You know what I mean? So translating to veterinary medicine, a whole other species that all they know is they love this animal to death. They love it to death. But what if they were educated on a, a little bump that was growing? And they said, ah, it's just a little bump. Right. You know? Well, you would know that depending where it is, what the size of it is, you know, does it hurt when I touch it? Those are all indicators of it maybe being a different problem. So people bring in their pets, and this is what we saw with COVID, is everybody was home more. They had more time. They were looking at things. They were they were seeing things that were a little bit, oh, you know, Skippy's limping a little bit more. That's weird. Oh, MPL right there. Bam. You know, like, oh, I thought that was just, you know, just normal. I'd come home from work, take him out, go home, boom. And that would be five days a week. So I just find it interesting that that connection there and what makes it even more difficult, bringing this back around, what makes it even more difficult is the educational aspect. That if that our job out there is to not only treat the animal, but to like treat the person too and teach the person. And we were talking about this before when we, when we had lunch that you were telling me about, um, you know, a time someone was saying that they want to help the person. Yeah. No, I, I have a, a doctor in particular, amazing veterinarian, but I've noticed on a regular basis, he'll walk out of the exam room and he'll go, we need to help this client, or I really want to help this client. And that sticks out because most of the time I hear the veterinarian saying, I want to help this patient. And it's not that he doesn't want to help the patient. It's not that he doesn't care about the patient, but his clients are as important to him as his patients. And that's why the clients love him. Um, On a regular basis, he'll go in. He had an orthopedic surgery the other day. We referred out to a specialist and he came came in and he's like, yeah, she, she was going on, wanted me to do the surgery. And they had to have a debate, him explaining this needs to go to a specialist. Mm-hmm. 
I can't do this. But it's because of that bond, because he really listens to his client and he really cares about his client, not just his patient, that the, the clients are begging him to do surgeries and do stuff. Um, that must feel good. It, it's got to, you know, because you're not getting the, the, generally, you're not getting this reciprocation from the, the patient, you know, you're not, you, you, you just saved their lives. And I don't think they're sitting up licking your face going, thanks, man, you know, maybe later, but that's all, you know, that the client can actually go, Hey, I appreciate you. Yeah. And he truly cares because he stopped and he's like, I really want to do the surgery too. And yeah. he goes, but I know it should go to a specialist, yeah. but I really want to do it. <laughs> you know, so he was fighting with himself over yeah, this, bet. wanting to do it. Um, he wouldn't be the hero. Y- yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> You also care, you know, he, he, like he cares said. and you know, that for some of these guys, they just love that stuff. They love these yeah. surgeries and how else do you learn, but to do it? Sure. You know, they don't call it practicing for a reason. Exactly. <laughs> it's not perfecting. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm constantly telling him like when he refers stuff like that and I'm like, if there's a, let him know if there's any chance they're going to euthanize. Oh to, yeah. To call you first because you know. You'll do it for half the cost of a yeah. specialist, but they need to understand that you're not a specialist. Sure. That we're practicing, you know. Like how, you, how often do you do you run into that? You know, that's a good point you bring up. Um, financial constraints are some of the biggest deterrents of our industry with the client and doctor interactions in hospitals. We have all these hospitals getting picked up by major corporations that are charging astronomical prices for certain things you have the private sectors that are trying to keep up with the financial inflations what what are your thoughts on um on, on just the the idea of like you said if you're going to euthanize like come back we'll, we'll do something um i just want complete comp- um, transparency between mm-hmm. the veterinarian and the client um, I think it should always be referred out to a specialist, but like with some that disclaimer, mm-hmm. if you're going to euthanize, if you truly can't afford it, if we can do something for them, we should. Because um, a lot of clients are declining. You know, th- there was a study or a statistic given me at, to me at Western States last year, and it said 80% of the clients have decided that we're overcharging them before they walk in the door. They have no idea what the estimate's going to be. They have no idea how much it is, but they've already decided they're being overcharged. Mm-hmm. Well, with that in mind, where do you go with that? So once they go to the specialist, then they're truly finding out if they can afford it or not. They should. But if we can save the life and do it and the client's okay with it, and the client's okay with the fact that the doctor's practicing on their animal and it may not come out right, I think we should. Yeah. Um, I'm scared about where veterinary medicine is going. If you look just a few years ago, a few years ago being my grandpa's age, you know, World War II, small animal medicine was new. Small animal hospitals were just beginning to exist. When I came into the market in 1989, you know, lab machines in the vet hospitals were uncommon. The hospital I worked at did not have one. I worked at the local emergency and they had just gotten one in. (laughs) Um, no one had an ultrasound, no one had dental machines. Um, we hand scaled when I was in sales, I called on hospitals that didn't have gas anesthesia. They just had injectable. So we have come so far, but as we continue to advance, the cost of veterinary medicine continues to go up so dramatically that I truly fear the average person is not going to be able to afford an animal 
without insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the insurance industry is going to boom in the next few years. Because I've wondered many times, what would I, I mean, I've presented many estimates over my lifetime that as I'm presenting it, I'm going, what would I do if this was my dog? Mm-hmm. If someone was handing me a $2,000, $4,000, $10,000 estimate, yeah. what would I do? Because we don't want to say that there's a price on every animal, but there is because we only have so much in our checking account. Care credit will only offer us a loan for so much money. Yeah. And if it comes down to you know food for my kids, paying my mortgage or the dog, God, it's going to kill me, but I, I've got to take care of my kids first. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster to ha- if I ever had to make that decision, and many people have. So I, I'm a little concerned, a little concerned if we continue to advance, like what are we going to do for the average person so they can afford veterinary medicine? Yeah, I mean, it's insurance is a, is a deep topic, and I'd love to get an insurance representative on here at some point that's transparent about the insurance industry or maybe an expert uh, because it it it's a scary thing to think it could shift toward human medicine insurance and we've seen that that's a joke that it has many many flaws and it's driven uh, for example I, w- I was um, you know my wife's going to be delivering our child soon and it was like $600 for a Tylenol oh. at the hospital and we were watching a video and it was like, bring your own medication, like for a headache or something. Right. Which is funny to think about, but you don't think about that thing because what you see is I have insurance. Okay. I'm covered. I'm going to pay up to this deductible X, Y, and Z. But then if you look at the breakdown, I am blown away about how much these hospitals are charging the insurance companies because they know they can get away with it because they're going to be covered and they're, they're in partners. And obviously this is in more in depth than I understand so far. But I'm worried that insurances will dictate, I think you actually had this in your notes too, when I was looking, it will dictate the type of procedures and treatments that we can do. Yeah. I mean, that's a real concern. So years ago, I was trying to figure out how we could offer insurance in our hospital, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning through other companies. Um, I don't have the names of all the insurance companies. So I actually started meeting with insurance reps and and talking to them going, hey, you know, I, I want to support your company. I want to support insurance. It was so complicated. It was impossible to, to do. I mean, in, unless we get computerized like human medicine it is where you could put it in. Um, I think the company that I spent the most time with, and uh, it was one, the oldest company in veterinary uh, health insurance at the time, I met with them at Western States and sat down with the CEO. And he went through and he said, okay, what do you charge for a pyometra? Mm-hmm. And, and I told him. And he goes, give me a basic estimate. So I pulled out a piece of paper and I wrote down, you know, office call, IV fluids, IV mm-hmm. extension, the injections. And then he went through it and he goes, okay, you're charging at the time, I don't know what it was, $35 for an office call. We'll only pay $29. i am like, mm-hmm. okay, you're charging $45 for a catheter. We'll only pay $35. And he goes, are you using an IV fluid pump? Yeah. Well, we'd pay $5 for that. You're not charging anything. Are you using an IV extension? Yeah. We pay $5 for that. You're not charging anything. Yeah. And he and they, they broke it down where every last little thing. So then it became then when a client had insurance, I would try and break it down and put mm-hmm. every last little thing on the invoice. My invoice would end up coming up double mm-hmm. 
Now I'm basically like, okay, how do I do this without it being insurance yeah, fraud? Right. You're just <laughs> adding stuff. We also used a pencil when we wrote down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, no, no, my yeah. scrubs are on there. <laughs> um, but it, it was a nightmare trying to figure out how to do this and make it work for the client and the insurance company without telling the client, okay, here's your your bill. It's normally three thousand for the hospital, but I did it for six thousand. The insurance after I broke everything down. After they pay you, you pay us. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, weird. It, it was a nightmare. Um, there, there is a new, new. Um, I don't want to plug anybody, but there is a new company called Truepanion out there. Mm -hmm. uh, Truepanion actually works directly with the computer system in the hospital. Yeah. So, um, and that's just because of that. That's where I'm focusing with insurance, because I've seen clients come in with part. I remember a client in particular had patient had parvo, mm -hmm. and they walked in and they had insurance. And I had them, handed them a $3,000 estimate and they said, we have no money. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you got to pay me up front. Yeah. No, we have insurance, you know? And then I'm like, okay, how do I do this? Yeah, like what? to make sure I get paid, you know? So I'm calling the insurance company. Can you mail me a check directly? No, we're going to mail it to the owners. And I'm like, okay, how do the, no, the owners going to afford it to me? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a nightmare. It scares me, yeah. it, you know? I mean, but I think insurance is the wave of the future. Uh, yeah. I, I think more and more clients are going to have to have it especially with the way the medicine's going. Mm -hmm. I mean, now an ultrasound, x-ray, lab machines, those are standard in hospitals. Yeah. I mean, my son keeps talking MRI and I keep going, no, we're not going to get an MRI, you know? And he's Come like, on, yes, please. yes, we are, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mobile MRI. Yeah. It's going to be the new new company. And, and it's, it's common. Yeah. M mobile MRIs are common. You don't need to be a vet for that. Is that right? No. Nope. Yeah, maybe I should get a mobile MRI company. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm going in halves with you. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a there's a company that comes and does imaging for us and uh there are two technicians and all we do is um put in catheter and then um we give them and I think they do it with just probe. They manage it with probe. Interesting. The, the the C T or whatever. Right. MRI. But it's really cool because it's it's in the back of a like a legit like a yeah. box, box truck, you know. You open it back and you see like a giant you know, MRI machine or a CT machine. Oh, huh. like that's amazing, you know. And it's got like it's on like stands, so it's like stands up, so it calibrates it and everything. Really cool, really cool idea. That's definitely the 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 way of the future. Like you said, everyone's gonna have an ultrasound. Everyone's gonna have you know uh, radiographs. The ability to do radiographs in a clinic. Everyone's got the ability right now. Most people aren't hand scaling unless it's like yeah, non anesthetic no. dentals. Even then, they still have little machines, but. Yeah, it's crazy to see um, how expensive these machines are. Oh, you, you slap medical on anything yeah. and you can just add a zero. Doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, the lights. Go and look at the surgery lights, and yeah, they're 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 nice. Mm -hmm. You know, they're three five thousand dollars. Yeah, and it's a light. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one reason medicine's so expensive. Do you see any good coming from insurance? Um. I don't necessarily have a problem with the insurance, you know, I, I think as we go, if you want to go into the extensive treatment, you know, I, I just worry the insurance will really, prices will go up even that much more. It'll get taken advantage of, you know, well, yeah, 100%. you know, I mean, hundred percent. It's just, I guess that's why I go back to the human medicine joke of the $600 Tylenol yeah. or ibuprofen, because I feel like that's what will happen. And then, like you said, we, we still need to collect payment there. There isn't a grid that's able to support our industry to go, oh, um, 
sure, I'll just bill me. You're like right. when you go to the dentist's office and you know, you have the choice to pay your uh your copay, right? Mm-hmm. You have a choice to pay your copay. But if you don't want to pay it at that time, you're not forced to pay your copay. You could just walk out and they're gonna bill you. Whereas in vet medicine, at least from my small time of being in it, I've heard horror stories about people not paying their bill, right? Or not or setting them up on payment plans. Like the hospital work at, we don't do payment plans. We don't do IOUs, checks, nothing. It's cash or card. And it has to go through at that moment. Yeah. Because there's so many times you send them to collections and you never get that money back. And you've done so much service for their animal and they're gone. They don't care. They're done. One of the big mistakes I made and showed how naive I was when I first opened the hospital, we were doing billing. Mm. And we were the people that didn't have the money. And I thought this was like little house on the prairie where I could look you in the eye and tell the good people from the bad. Mm-hmm. And you give me a good handshake. And I know it was good because we have a, a bond. It was like 5% paid us. Oh my God. The, the, the number was so low. And, you know, now we're becoming a collection agency where I'm yeah. just sitting there calling people every day going, you promised you'd come in every Thursday and give me $20, you know, and you haven't come and given anything. It turned into a nightmare. And I don't remember how many charts I had by the end, but I'll put it at about two feet. So if you stacked them on one on top of another, mm-hmm. there was about two feet worth of charts and we'd only been open a year. So like we didn't have that many charts. Please tell me you still have those charts somewhere. Oh, no. No. We could have called them. Hi, you're live on (laughs) Veterinary Vibes. Uh, You owe us $87. Yeah, yeah. it it just, by the end, no, I'm done. You know, we've got to go away from it. And I felt horrible, Mm -hmm. you know, and now and then I would have, you know, whatever. Someone walk out, come back and pay and say, see, I'm a good guy. I told you I would, but it's such a small percentage. Yeah. I. It was that or close. If I want to stay in business, I've got to stop doing payments. Yeah. It was simple as that. Uh, Gosh, that's great. I keep can't fathom that, but I could totally see it happening because I run into people where they literally say they have no money and it like, it hurts, right? It hurts all of us. No one feels good about turning away somebody because they don't have money. It's not like human medicine where we can still, we can treat you. If you have no money, sure, we can treat you. Right. And don't get me wrong. If we could all heal and fix and save lives for free, we would do it. It's yeah. just it's just not sustainable at all for anybody. Right. For anybody. And so that's like, that's a hard thing. And I think that hurts a lot of veterinarians, especially that are working in underprivileged communities mm-hmm. that don't have the resources. Like you live in, I worked at a clinic in Laguna Niguel and you see, you see some people like, you know, you know, cutting down the cost, but not like if a major event were to happen or something, you know, granted we euthanize, but we're not like begging him for that money per se, you right. know, it's, and of course that goes to the, the, you know, the socioeconomic status of people in a certain demographic or, you know, certain region, things like that. But I can imagine, I can imagine how hard it would be and how helpful insurance would be to people like that. I just don't know how sustainable that insurance company would be because then you have, like you said, the hyperinflation of things. You have the co- every, every hospital going, well, we can build insurance more. <laughs> you know, like you ride the fine line of what's insurance fraud, what's not. So it gets complex. Well, and then the people that need it the most. When I was 20 years old, I had a dog, but I didn't have health insurance for myself. Yeah. (laughs) When I was 18, I didn't have a car insurance for myself. Mm -hmm. So the people that need that insurance the most, you know, if they don't have insurance for themselves, are they going to get it for their dog? Can they afford it for their dog? 
And uh, it, it's very common, I think, in the uh, upper class or more um, the neighborhoods that have more money, they tend to have less animals. Yeah, that's you true. You get to the middle class and they've got two dogs and three cats. Yeah. You know, you get into the really nice houses and they have one small dog. Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I, I always laugh. I mean, I've had people pull up in Rolls Royces, Maseratis, mm-hmm. get out with their little Floofy and come in and Floofy needs a, you know, has a heart murmur. We recommend sitting to cardiologists and, you know, whatever. Some There's some issues happening, some pathology going on. And they're like, I'm not paying for that. That's crazy. And I'm looking at them like, sir, you showed up without an appointment. I'm going to have to charge you this $100. He's like, what? Can you do it less? And I'm like, as like get out of a half a million dollar car, I'm like thinking in my mind, wow, I, I, keep, I take everything back to value. And I spoke with uh, another classmate, a third year about value and how you how people perceive value and put value in things. And it really blows my mind to see that people who generally have nothing value their pets more than the people that have everything. And there's a, obviously that's that's a generalization, and I don't want to say that's hard concrete, but there is trends in that, and it's crazy to think about. Yeah, it, but it's true. I mean, and it's on a regular basis, and this is something I fight where clients come in, and I'll look at them, I'll go, I look at the purse they have, I look at their nails being done, I look at the shoes they're wearing, you know, but they don't have the money for their the vet bill. But then I'm looking at the dog going, this dog just came from the groomer. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you just spent 120 bucks on the groomer. Yeah. Um, I don't know why there's that disconnect. They don't want to spend it at the vet. I kind of understand the fact because like, I love the outdoors. So if my wife called me and said, whatever, do we have a, can I have $500 tomorrow to go buy a new purse? I'd be like, no, we can't afford that. You don't need a new purse. But if she said, Hey, you know, um, I got this extra $500. Do you want to go buy some backpacking equipment? Oh yeah. Yeah. We we, we need that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. I always have money for REI, you know? Yeah. That's funny. Uh, um, so it really has to do with the value in your mind and who wants to go spend money at the vet, but it's not a, a fun thing. Yeah. Uh, but it has to be done. I know. That's so, such a hard thing. Like, and I just, I, th- I still think that goes back to communication. Yeah. I still think that goes back to patient care and client care. If you can encourage and change somebody's mind about the value of something in the, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the time frame that you have with them or the relationship that you build with them, they're bound to more do more things that you agree with, that, you, you know, your doctors do. So, I mean, I don't know how to, how to navigate that, but. Well, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of the navigation of that is the client bonding with the doctor. Mm-hmm. If the client likes you personally, if they think you are a wonderful person, then they want to spend the money with you. That's so weird to me. Okay. Because for me, like, I think I have an animal, a medical professional in the field is telling me, we need to do this, this, and this. This is gold standard. We can help your pet. And I'm, and I, let's say I do have the money and I'm still like, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know. That seems like, that seems like psychopathic to me. I don't know. They're, They're just more likely to spend it. Yeah. You know? They like you. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious because you may not be a good doctor. You could be the worst doctor there is. Yeah. But they judge you on how you look and whether they like you or not. Mm-hmm. Like I said about that doctor before, he would argue with people going, you need to go here. They are better. They are the best in the field. But no, we want you to do it. Yeah. 
because we yeah. like you. That's so funny. And he's going, no, you don't understand. Like, <laughs> they are trained deeper. <laughs> I, I have never done this surgery before. Oh, like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm going to look at a YouTube video before I go into the surgery. You don't understand. <laughs> and I've seen that. <laughs> no. Hey, I think it's a good resource. Okay. Yeah. If no. You're, if you're following the right people. It really is. And it's it's funny. I remember having a client once walking back to use the bathroom and she was upset because she saw the doctor's library and she saw books open on the doctor's desk. And in her mind, the doctor doesn't know what he's doing mm-hmm. because he needs to check this book. Mm-hmm. And I was up front trying to explain to her, no, you don't understand. Like, Books are coming on and off that shelf all day long. Mm-hmm. Like this is normal. And the more I explained it, the worse it got. Because I'm telling him, no, you don't understand. Like every patient, they go back and look at a book. And she's just like, oh my God, they really don't know what they're doing. You know, I'm like, no, this is very normal yeah. in the medical industry. Um, <laughs> I remember that client very well. Yeah, really funny. Yeah, I, 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 I tried to make it better. I just made it worse. The more I talked, the bigger the whole got. She's like, Bill, I walked back there and he's playing Operation. <laughs> the game with the red buzzer. <laughs> well, how was he supposed to practice? Yeah. No. Prepping it, for surgery. It, it wasn't that bad. But, you know, I mean, re- reading books, it's very normal. And if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Think about the complex, the complexity of just anatomy and physiology and like, if you Googled right now how many different veins, arteries, nerves, and lymphatics there are in a body, you'd be like, holy shit. And how do you memorize that? The best doctors in the world still have to go back. They have their case. Even in human medicine, they have their case. They know what they're going to do. Okay, They're going to go back and refresh everything just so they can get the same outcome every single time. Right. And it and never hurts to open to yeah. that page and just re- read it real quick before you go into surgery. Yeah. Yeah, because exactly the one time you do forget something that is important, mm-hmm. you're going to pay. You're going to pay whether it's emotionally, financially, <laughs> or physically when someone kicks your ass. I remember having a client when I first opened, and he came in. He's kind of scraggly, long hair, and girlfriend was dropped dead gorgeous, looked like a model. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the case was. I just remember when it came time, I had to negotiate a deal because yeah. they didn't have the money and went back and forth. And, uh, and, and then I, I negotiated a deal because we were starving. I think our first month we did $5,000 in business for the whole month. I mean, Net or is that gross? That was gross. Yeah. And, and I mean, I just sat around doing nothing and this was before the internet. Otherwise I'd have been playing call of duty or something yeah. at least, yeah. you know, but no, I just sat in a chair staring at the street going, please let a customer come in, um, you know, and go to perspective. And I think last month we did almost 700,000 in one month. So in from 5,000 in one month, but anyways, they left, they came back, came time to pay. And I don't remember if he gave me a business card, but something led to me asking him what he did for a living. Although I think it was just also a very interesting person because he almost looked homeless. And then he's with this model. Um, literally she was perfection. And he goes, oh, I own a sound studio. We do music videos. We do this and that. And okay, well, you know, maybe he's just starting. I'm like, are you just starting out? You know? Oh, no, no. We've been doing it for years. I mean, is it a good business? And then he just started talking about all the money he was making yeah. and all the cars he had yeah. and how rich he was. <laughs> and I stopped him. I said, you know, I'm struggling. And I just gave you a huge discount on yeah. your bill because I think you can't afford it. And I watched the guy just embarrassment, the color leave his face. And he ended up paying the whole bill. 
end up like apologizing, which was shocking, mm-hmm. and paying it. But there's just so much of a to, to wheel and deal. And, and once again, they think they're getting ripped off when they come. They have no idea if they're getting a good deal or not. They have no idea what we're doing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really hard for the client to judge about anything other than whether they like the doctor or not. Yeah. You know, do you look like a mad scientist or do you look like you're put together? Sure. <laughs> I mean, that's hard. It, it's funny because we do that too with human medicine though. You go and look at their reviews and you're like, is this a good dentist? But oh. like, are you really looking at where they went to college, what their GPA was, what their class rank was, how many surgeries they've done, who their recommendations are? Right. <laughs> you know, you're really just shopping on a Yelp review. Yeah. You know, and, which is kind of weird. And Yelp reviews for most hospitals, mine included, they're horrible. Yeah. Well, because people are more inclined to want to write about a negative experience 10 times more over than they are about a positive one. Well, and, and we've given a voice to um, the people that shouldn't have a voice. I don't know how to properly <laughs> yeah, word this yeah. on your talk show. <laughs> but you know. We're here with Bill getting canceled. No. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, well, you know, we're giving a voice to, to people that are just negative people. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then the people that are happy don't. You know, it's funny. I go and I, I'll work. I worked the, this last weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and I came home and I told my wife, I said, I loved it. Every client was happy. Yeah. I had, you know, we saw probably 30 people each day. That's 60 clients. They were all happy. But all I remember is the one negative review a week we get. Yeah. You know, not the 30 times seven or however many that is, you know, yeah. 210 happy clients that didn't review every week. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think that's because you you put so much effort and passion and care into your company. You, you're expecting the outcome generally to be positive. And when someone has a positive thing to say, in the back of your mind, you go, well, of course, yeah, because we care and, and, and I would expect that outcome. But then when people go, you know, I hated that, blah, 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 whatever happened, you, you, you sit there and you dissect every little thing. You're like, what could we have done better? Or you say they're crazy and doesn't that doesn't translate what you just said. It is so hard when you care about something. It's like your own children Mm -hmm. to hear the criticism, especially if the criticism is inaccurate. Mm -hmm. It's one thing when someone now and then I get criticism about the business and I go, "Yep, that I believe that happened." Mm -hmm. Okay, and and now that I it happened, I'm going to try and fix it. Or Mm -hmm. I I know that is a weakness of ours. Mm Um, but to hear criticism that is completely inaccurate or you don't believe, um, it, it, it hurts the soul. My wife, when she was very young, she worked for a guy who did pottery mm-hmm. and they sold at the different fairs and stuff like that. And he couldn't be there while they were selling the pottery. He had to sit in the truck or hide in the back <laughs> because clients would come up and pick up his pottery and critique it. One thing about it. Y- yeah. And be, and, or, or they would talk about how they could do that. Oh, I learned how to do this in high school. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, I've been trying to perfect this for 50 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, he just could not handle sure. hearing it, you know? So he had to stay in the back while the, the cute girl sold the pottery. Yeah, literally. And um, my wife uses that with me in the business all the time. Like, you just mm-hmm. need to stay in the back while mm-hmm. we deal with this. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's hard. Especially if you're... Uh, if you get in your head about that, that's the thing. If you let, if you let those, those negative things like take over, yes. I guess, you know, if you don't feel them for positivity. And, and for veterinarians and everyone in the industry, it's so important to focus on the positive. Yeah. 
It's so important to focus on the clients that are happy with you, the animals that lived. Um, I wish somehow we could put a gold star in the veterinarian's brain for every animal that got well, mm -hmm. every animal that lived. Because let me tell you, they absorb the ones that don't. Yeah. And then the negative clients, you know, like I said, we'll have 30 happy clients a day for five days in a row. And then one negative client. And that's all I hear about for the next four days is that one negative client, mm -hmm. not the couple hundred that were happy. Yeah. And especially when you say it's not true, like what they say is not true or whatever happened. Oh yeah. No, that's I've, even worse. Like you said. No. Because so I just think, I'm just sorry to interrupt. I just, I think about the Yelp thing and it's true. Like we go to places and we look at the Yelp review, at least for me, I look at it and I'm like, yikes, I can't believe that happened. And how true do we know that to be? A hundred other comments on there, the exact opposite. Right. And it is so hard. Like, I can't look at Yelp. Yeah. You know, my, my wife handles it for me. She responds to the review and she does an amazing job at it mm -hmm. um, because it does. It hurts my soul as I read this stuff and I get angry when I go, you know, whatever. Someone's like, I spent $2,000 there. And I'm like, no, you didn't. Yeah. You know, or they, they don't mention they, you know, they declined everything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I went home, my dog died. Yeah. You, mm. you declined everything and you signed a critical care form, oh, you yeah. know, which is standard um, yeah. with us. Like we have people sign for everything just so we know positively it was explained to them. Sure. Um, now, that, that, that is why it's so important. Everyone in this industry focuses on the positive. It has to be a constant effort. Because there is, and people are going to come out and say things like, you killed my dog. Mm -hmm. No, I did everything I could to save your dog. Mm -hmm. Either we just couldn't because it's physically impossible. Either we couldn't because our ability just isn't there, but we did our best. Or in a case like this, because you wouldn't let us do our job. So um, I, I, I think uh, all veterinarians, all technicians, all receptionists, it's something they constantly have to fight and focus on the positive. So tying this back into, let's say vet school, how can, how can we be the best possible candidate for, let's say a hospital that you're running? How do we work for you? Number one, communication. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when someone comes in and interviews with me, I have no idea what they're really like as a vet. You know what to say, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to tell me you're the best at surgery and that you can, you know, People love you, but how do you speak, you know, and do you speak with arrogance or, or do you speak with uh, empathy? Um, how do you communicate? And I think that is one of the hugest things. The next is trying to establish work ethic. Um, I, I'm huge in paying my veterinarians a commission. I'm huge in, in them getting, uh, because it pays them for the extra or pays them for what they do. Because it is very common. You're off at 6 p.m., but you don't go home till 8. Something comes in dying at 6. You're not just going to walk out the door. Mm -hmm. or one of your patients isn't doing well. By doing that, it helps pay for it. But it also pays for the work ethic. Um, it makes a huge difference, someone that's on a, a commission or gets a piece of the pie of some way, some sort. Um, but the communication in the person, the appearance of the person, makes a huge difference. Um, Best way to see that is actually to have them work a couple shifts and see how the clients respond to them and how they are with the clients and how are they with the staff? Because once again, it's, everything's positivity. So how does the veterinarians communicate with their staff? Do they communicate with their staff? Do they talk down to them, you know, or do they work as a team? Um, 
Because if you want a team, you've got to work as a team. You can't just be talking down and ordering. And I think that's a huge mistake um, in many hospitals, probably many businesses. Um, but you need your team to support you. So you've got to work with them. You've got them working with, you've got to get them to work with you. And the only way to do that is positivity. So, and communication. I like that. That's, that's a big takeaway from this, this talk, because communication isn't taught all that often in veterinary school. There, there is some elements about it, but it's, it's on the back burner. And veterinarians are scientists and scientists naturally aren't known for communication. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I don't want to talk negatively about veterinarians, but, you know, scientists are not known for communication. So it is something after, you know, eight years of school and you're ahead in the book that you've got to work at. You've, it's got to be something that's constantly thought about and going, okay, how am I going to make this a good day for my staff? Because if it's a good day for them, they're going to work on making it a good day for me. Mm-hmm. They're going to be here to support me and to help me when things are bad. But... If they don't care about me, then they're going to throw me to the wolves. They're going to actually be happy when I'm struggling or when I fail or giddy. You don't want that. And I've seen it. So got to have a team effort. And it's something that starts at the top, which the veterinarian's towards the top. Yeah. Uh, Most of the time the veterinarian is the top. Mm -hmm. They've got to constantly foster that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's crucial, crucial in a, in a, in a just business in general in business in general in, in general well, that's, that's a huge and and actually relationships but yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're going there in, in life we'll just say in life. right no it, it is um but you know i mean you, you get out of uh the universe what you put into it you know and if you're constantly putting positive energy into the universe you know i like to use the driving mechanism you know where you, you see a bad driver and it's not long before you see another bad driver trying to chase him down and run him off the road mm-hmm. you know just be a good driver and then no one will be trying to chase you down and run you off the road. <laughs> I agree. Good for Southern California. Good for Southern California. Yeah. I got a, a very important, serious question for you. Okay. If you were an animal. Yes. What would you be? Why? <laughs> uh, I'd be a bear. A bear? A bear. Yeah. Like cocaine bear? Uh, <laughs> a Kodiak. No, that was, oh, that was a different life. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different life. That was life. back when you were a drug dealer. <laughs> Didn't go to college. Nah, if I was going to be a bear, I'd be a Kodiak because th- they just have no worries. Okay. You're a Kodiak. What do you, what do you worry about? You worry about the one guy that's trying to hang out with you mm-hmm. in Alaska somewhere and you eat him. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <it. laughs> that's crazy. A Kodiak bear. Yeah. So why so though? Huh? Why do you want to be a bear? Because like I said, what, what do they worry about? Who's going to take down a Kodiak? Another Kodiak? Maybe, yeah. But for the most part, they have no worries. They walk around going, uh, what's my next fish? I'm going to go, I'm going to go fishing. I have no worries. I can just see you just standing in the water, just waiting for a fish. Yeah. Just wait, just hanging out. And and even as a human, that's kind of one of my life dreams, just to go to Montana and be standing in a river, you know, with a fishing pole. I don't even care if I catch anything, you know, just, Mm -hmm. just being in the river. So they call it fishing. Yeah. Not catching. Yeah. I don't even know if I want to catch something. And then I'd have to clean it and mm-hmm. then eat it. You know, exactly. That's the life though. Yeah. So you're already looking to retire, huh? No, I just want to partially retire. Yeah. I, I, once your I, boy gets in there. Once my boy gets in there. I love wildlife. I love Montana. I love going up there and watching the wolves. I love going and watching the bears. You know, I've got some great wolf and bear pictures. That's awesome. I, I don't have any mountain lion that really upsets me. Yeah. That's a hard one to get. That would be cool. Yeah. 
That would be really cool. All right, so any last tidbit gold nuggets you can leave with our listeners today? What do you want to say the most? No, I, overall, after 30 years, this has been a great business, okay? And uh, I admire everyone in your position going into it because I know how hard... I, I don't know how hard veterinary school is because I've never done it. I can only imagine, um, you know, and I know they're probably... Everyone's stressed. It's worth it, okay? And just stay positive. Just stay, keep the positivity up through school. And then once you become a vet, keep the positivity up. Because for me, it's been a wonderful business. It's been the best decision I ever made, even with all the bad. Yeah, the cool thing is you get to see from a whole different aspect. Because now your son's going to become a veterinarian and, and I, very shortly. And I encouraged all three of my kids yeah. to go into veterinary medicine. That's going to be cool for you. So, you know. I mean, That's your gold star in life. One out, of, one out of three did. You know, all three. Yeah, they are. They're absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now that it's all said and done, you know, uh, that's the only thing that really mattered as I have three successful children. They're both successful members of society. They're all doing well. You know, um, I'm very proud of that more than anything. That's awesome. I love that. So, uh. I know a lot of people are interested in either wanting to own a practice someday or maybe even work for you in the future. Do you want to plug your business here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mission Veterinary Clinic and missionvet at gmail.com is my direct email address. I'm always on the need for good people. People are easy to find. Good people are hard to find. So I'm looking for the good ones. Uh, veterinarians, technicians, everything. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show today and talking about stuff that really matters and hopefully encouraging all of us to be a little bit more positive in life and in a field that so desperately needs it. Thank you. So, Bill, look forward to having another conversation with you in the future. I hope so. I had a good time. Thanks, brother. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Wow, another banger of an episode on Veterinary Vibes, the podcast where we vibe so you can thrive. Well, guys, that's it. Season one in the books. If you need to reach out to me, hit me up at veterinaryvibespodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you soon in season two. Take care.